I grew up in what would now be considered a large family, seven children, five boys and two girls, in a relatively small house uh, for our needs, four bedrooms, one bathroom. And as a consequence, we spent a lot of time playing outdoors all year round. Happily for us, our, our backyard was the size of a football field with apple trees, cherry trees, and a large vegetable garden. From time to time, we would run into the house to get a snack, and one of us would leave the back door open. My mother would say, uh, close the door, were you born in a barn? Of course, she knew the answer to the question better than I. I was, I was born in a hospital because that's where she was, and I wanted to be close to her. I could never understand what being born in a barn had to do with leaving a back door open. But I did know someone who had been born in a barn. And I began to wonder if he had left the door open while running in and out of the house to get a drink of water when he was playing with his friends. Would his mother have used the same kind of parental logic? Though uh, she would probably have had to change that interrogatory statement, were you born in a barn, to a declarative sentence, close the door, you were born in a barn. I mentioned this to my mother one day after I got in trouble, once again, for leaving the back door open. Would the Blessed Virgin have said that to Jesus, I asked, because he was born in a barn. Unfortunately, my mother was not amused at my first attempts at Christological reflection. According to Matthew and Luke, the story of Jesus, the newborn king of the Jews, does not take place in a palace where you would expect a king to be born, but in an outbuilding for domestic animals in Bethlehem. This is part of the pathos of the Christmas scene. A man and his pregnant wife traveling to their ancestral village because a politician in a far distant capital decides he needs more money, tax money, to fuel the empire's endless wars. And no one has bothered to leave the light on for them at the Motel 6. And to, to complicate the story, this is the moment when the woman gives birth to her child. We have so completely domesticated the Christmas scene that we have almost entirely forgotten the one important fact that all the principal actors in the scene are Jewish. The mother's name is Miriam, her husband's name is Yosef, and the baby will be called Yeshua. The oxen and the ass in the stable are all kosher animals, not a pig to be found anywhere on the premises. And if the angels are not Jewish, they speak Aramaic well enough to be understood by the Jewish shepherds watching over the sheep, whose ultimate purpose, by the way, in life, the sheep that is, will be to provide the main course for the Paschal Supper. The only non-Jews, the only Gentiles, the only outsiders privileged to come upon the scene were the three magi or wise men with their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That is why Epiphany has always been an important feast on the Christian calendar. It tells us that salvation, as the gospel defines it, is not limited to Jesus' family 
or to the Jewish people, or for that matter, any time or any age. You didn't have to be born in first century Israel to qualify for the right to be reconciled to God. And if the ministry of Christ among prostitutes, publicans, and other public sinners is any indication, you didn't have to be good to qualify either. Salvation is a gift offered to us by God without cost, or to put it more precisely, with the ultimate cost, the blood of his Son. But most especially, it is a gift to the Gentiles who had no right to expect it. They were pagans without knowledge of the true and living God of Israel, without knowledge of Torah. Moreover, they were traditional enemies and persecutors of the chosen people. And the surprise is that they are now to be given a place at table in the kingdom of heaven. This is all prefigured by the visit of the Magi. This is why Christmas and Epiphany are crucial feasts if we are to get the theology of salvation right. Though there will always be people who are not amused by our attempts to do so. Christmas, Epiphany tell us that salvation is to be found in the world, in our own time, and in our own lives. Christian spirituality is not a flight from the body, not an escape from an earthbound existence. The world is not depraved. The body is not the prison of the soul, as the Gnostics and their modern equivalents think. God, the Logos, becomes a human body to save us in our bodies and within the world that was created good at the beginning, though now blighted by sin. That is why the Christmas gospel is such good news. What we see in the child lying in a manger in Bethlehem is what we also see in the man hanging on a cross on Golgotha. God stripped of everything we associate with greatness, power, and divinity. The same God made flesh who makes himself vulnerable for us every time we celebrate the Eucharist because he's not ashamed to be placed into our hands and on our lips in the appearance of bread and wine.